0: Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website www.projectmedtech.com and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for med tech companies. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lean R A Q A. Michelle Lott and the Lean team help. Clients recognize regulatory and quality issues aren't a burden, but they are strategic advantages when used properly. These experts strip away misdirected activities so you can focus on what really matters winning in the marketplace. Check them out at leanraqa.com. In this episode, our guest David Keynes at Well Prepped and I discuss why he considers himself a reluctant entrepreneur, how he founded Well Prepped determining if your problem is just an isolated issue or a systemic problem, the problem with clinician retention at a hospital, being a physician entrepreneur, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with David Keynes. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> David, let's let's start with a um, introduction. Um, but before we get into the company, well WellPrepped, um, which is, is is your current endeavor, um, let's give the listeners just a background on who you are as an individual um, and and your your background in the the med tech health tech space.
1: All right, I'll give you the cliff notes. So. geographically i was born in south africa much of my extended family is there my parents left pretty much right after i was born so i grew up in canada and in the new york suburbs Uh, and ever since around second grade i've been up in that neck of the woods i was the first uh in my family to become a doctor it was sort of a an idea in my head ever since i was a little kid and um I think I predominantly had blinders on uh, because I enjoyed the idea, and I never really seriously considered anything else. Um, I went to undergrad at Yale and med school at Cornell, and then I ended up in the Boston area for training, where I stayed ever since on staff, and I'm a, a practicing urologist in the, in the greater Boston area. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, it's funny, I was chatting to someone else, and they said, you seem like somewhat of a reluctant entrepreneur. (laughs) And uh, I think that that is an accurate description of me. Um, It wasn't like I I thought I need to start a company. The the, the well-prepped origin study is a lot of accidental series of events that hit me over the head.
0: Yeah, this is amazing. Um, all right. So, so let's, let's dive into the, um, uh, medical school piece of this as well. Um, uh, I, I think I was looking on your LinkedIn, were you at the Cleveland clinic for a little bit? Yes. Was yeah. Yeah. So for- Cleveland
1: clinic was for fellowship. So it was residency it. in the Boston area, one year of a fellowship yep. in, at that time it was advanced laparoscopy and the early stages of robotic surgery. And then I came back okay. on staff.
0: Very cool. Yeah, yeah I only ask because I'm in the Cleveland area. Um, awesome. Okay. So actually, I, I, I changed my mind. We're going to dive into well prep because um, uh, I think some of the other. Uh, do- medical school and, and some of the, the just the journey of a doctor physician entrepreneur uh, we'll dive in after so so tell me about well prepped you said it was it was a series of accidental yeah,
1: yeah it was a series <laughs> of uh, of accidents um, yeah. uh, if I go back to I think you know since I've been an attending uh, in the last I've been practicing for say fifteen years the last um, eight or so I've been in and out of burnout maybe not realizing it while it was happening, uh, but certainly looking back, I can see that I've cycled in and out of burnout. And around 2015, 2016, um, things were particularly bad for me. For, fortunately, when it came to surgery, the actual doing surgery, I, I never lost my level of engagement and always, I really do thrive in that environment. It's, I don't believe that any of us is only supposed to do one thing but that's one of the things that I should be doing. And i never thankfully lost sight of that. But what bothered me is in clinic, having these repetitive explanations that I, at a certain point, couldn't really stomach doing anymore. And I know that may sound awful to say uh, because we are generally a very um, giving, um, caring breed as doctors. But I never made the calculus that, wow, there really are some mundane aspects of this job that doing them for 30 or 35 years in a row can be somewhat taxing. So I was explaining Gleason score and prostate cancer to a, a engineer in his 60s. And I had given this Gleason score talk. in I had like a 5-minute version, a 10-minute version, a 15-minute version, depending on what peg I needed to fit it in in that particular moment in clinic but it was sort of like driving to work on autopilot I, I got through the explanation and I didn't remember giving it and it was like this out-of-body I pressed play on the explanation and, and that was it and it was a terrible feeling I remember sort of reflecting on that like god this is bad like you're talking to somebody and you don't you're like completely going through the motions I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think the patient sensed that. Although it would be interesting to know, I'll never know if the patient sensed that. But I I felt terrible about it, and um, I thought, you know, there must be a better way. So I did this little thing of, you know, the NCCN, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, puts out this incredible PDF. It's a patient guide on prostate cancer, and I put it on my Google Drive. I made a short link for it on Bitly to make it easier for my secretary and to, and to track how many times people click on it. And I said to her, listen, if someone's seeing me for prostate cancer, please send them this PDF to read. Now, mind you, it's 80 pages. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, not everybody read it, but slowly but surely, at least some patients read it. And those clinic visits with those patients were substantially better. For me, mm-hmm. for me, you know, and I would say it's not all about me, but also clearly better for the patient as well. Because instead of starting from step one, we were starting from step four or five. And, you know, one of the things I sort of realized at that point is one of one of the drivers of burnout, I think, is that you you've lost control over Things. You've lost control over your time. Like, if I, as I open that door into that exam room, I'm wondering, like, how long is this going to take? And if the patient is not educated on the basics, it's going to suddenly take a whole hell of a lot longer for me to get through that visit. And it's a feeling of lack of control. So I got that bug, like, oh my God, like, this is useful. So what else could I put online to help me? And so I took it one step further and Loom came out, the screen recording software that has become so successful since. And I thought, my God, Mm -hmm. this is good. I'll record my explanation of robotic prostate removal. I'll put it on YouTube and I'll send patients to that as well. So I started telling my secretary, not just the NCCN guide, but also this video. And I kept going Mm -hmm. from there and you know, clinic days were a little bit better for me. Um, at this point, Dwayne, I'm still not thinking i am got to start a company. Um, I was just scratch, you know, scratching, <laughs> just, just scratching my, I'm just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say you're just trying to, you're trying
0: to make your processes better. You're solving a problem that, that, that you have.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm just trying to get, yeah. I'm trying to get through my own day. Um, you know, I, I think if we think about it, the root, the root cause here is that, Patients can't understand your advice, and that's what they're coming to you for, until they have a basic understanding of physiology and disease. So if you're a nephrologist or something and you're, you get down to, like, what does the kidney do? And you've got to explain that every day, several times a day. Uh, it's a lot. So anyway, um, mm-hmm. I start to get a sense, or, or at least I, I thought, I wonder if other doctors are going to like this as well. And so I made a prototype. It was like a really um, simple prototype. It was a web page with a stack of buttons. You know the whole Linktree phenomenon of a link in bio? Mm-hmm. You guys probably have it for Project Medtech. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so Linktree comes along. And, of course, in my like, twisted mind, I, I, I'm not thinking about self-promotion. I'm thinking, boy, that would be an easy way for me to organize all my stuff. And maybe mm-hmm. my secretary won't can only send one link instead of 17 that i've amassed yeah so i create this prototype now this is only looking through the rear view mirror i mean i know you understand what early stage startups need to be successful and i've only learned this in retrospect that you're supposed to test your idea with a prototype before you go forward so Again, I, I sort of was lucky in this regard. It, I, I can't say that it was strategic or a forward-looking design. But I made um, some simple pages for about 10 or so friends of mine who are urologists. And I said, hey, can you use this? Like, do you think this would be useful? And they were like, yeah. That's, but but to some degree, they I think they were flattered that I made this thing for them. So I wasn't sure if they were just telling me what I needed to hear. But couple of them said yeah this is amazing and never used it but a substantial number of those first 10 came back to me and they were like dude i reprinted my business card with a qr code of my page because it's become part of my workflow like my my conversations are better you know i used to cringe when the patients started asking me their list of questions because it was a minute left in the visit, now we're starting with the questions, which is, like, it's great, you know? Yeah. Um, and I and I, I often say, you know, the the patients deserve to have those questions answered, and if you resent those questions, it's probably because you don't have time to answer them. I mean, if given enough time, I think most of us would love to peck through those questions and get, give them the answers that they deserve to hear. So it was at that point that I thought, all right, you know, this is this is really cool. Now this is starting to feel a little bit more like a like a mission because when people are coming back at me saying, Thank you for making this thing, I'm thinking like, Wow, thank you it was a weird thing to say over like a, a software thing. So that's when the the light bulb went off and I thought, you know, I'd like to see if I can start a software company based around this idea. And then WellPrep was born.
0: Wow. So I, I, I love the background of the story because I, I feel as if, um, you know, for, for early stage startups, um, one of the biggest things, you know, startups struggle with is determining if, if it's a real problem for more than one, Person or more than one hospital system, and it doesn't mean you can't form a business around one client. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that have a, a single client that carries the majority of, of their business. Um, but it just—it just—it's it just, it, that asterisk of really understanding, um, you know, which which companies. Uh, or, or which problems are actually worth solving and, and, and how you go about determining, hey, is this is this really a systemic problem or is it isolated? And so hearing your backstory of how you solved it for yourself, you floated it to more physicians and they all said, hey, we're, in, we're reprinting business cards because this is how effective it's been. Right. That's even more validation of, hey, maybe I have something worth exploring here. Um it's just it's, it's really interesting to get that perspective from you, because I think oftentimes um, we miss that on the podcast and it's not any fault of, of anything. It's probably me not asking enough questions, but but actually digging into, hey, how did you know this was a problem worth going out and solving? Because that's the biggest question, right? We know this about startups, especially in, in the healthcare industry is problem and team are way more important than solution um yep. people are not betting on solutions at an early phase they're betting on the fact that the team is going to be successful and that this is actually a problem in more than one area um so i love how you kind of told that story there
1: yeah you know what happened um next was <laughs> I, I, I for me anyway i love learning new things so now all of a sudden i needed to learn about uh, you know SaaS companies and to some extent, programming, at least enough to be able to speak with developers and uh, startup financing and a whole bunch of things. And I went to podcasts, actually, I just got my Spotify wrap up for 2022. And it was like, you only listen to podcasts, like hundreds, (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of minutes. And they were all, (laughs) they were all startups and entrepreneurship. And so I'm listening to this podcast. And I've got um i should may as well give a shout out Uh, it's called startups for startups for the rest of us Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the host is saying like okay good job you made a prototype but it's not a it's not an idea until you know somebody's going to pay for it right so before i had an actual product of my own i was able to get some users to pay for the prototype which was also you know, another yeah. very strong signal to give me the courage to because you know I was bootstrapping this and you know it's very frightening um, to to pony up the the money it takes to for developer time, which as you probably know is exorbitant. And uh, yeah, so without those two signals, one that people were reprinting their business cards, and two that at least one or two people. He said, "Yeah, I'll I'll pay for this." Those were key. Well, so
0: let's, yeah, let's let's talk about the paying for it piece too. While we're here, Um, you know, this is this is something that um, when we work with startup companies, we we are we often talk about their commercialization strategy. Uh, So, so we are not in the business of being the gatekeepers of whether this is a big problem or not. Right? We 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 truly believe that what we're here to do is help companies have the right resources around and let the market decide whether this is a problem or not, right? It shouldn't be any one individual. And I think oftentimes people fail at that step. Right. Um, so, but when we talk to him about commercialization strategy, we, we think through, okay, are you bringing value to the patient? Generally, that, that's a pretty easy checkbox or else we should really reevaluate what (laughs) we're doing here. Um, then it is, do you bring value to the clinician? nurses, physicians, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, whatever it is, right? Do you bring value there? Uh, The second thing, the third thing is, do you bring value to the healthcare system? And what value is that? And I'll, I'll dive into that in a second. And then also the 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 value to the overall healthcare system as a whole. I mean, in terms of like insurance and and stuff like that, right? So those are those four main areas where it's like you better understand your pitch to all four of those major stakeholders. Um, but the third one is really interesting because you brought this up about people paying for it, and so um, it's something that we spend a lot of time with customers. If 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 you are gonna make a procedure cheaper um or your product is cheaper than your competitor yeah obviously that's a no-brainer uh the financial folks within a value analysis committee within a hospital have a very easy time evaluating that however where us uh uh the the financial department within a hospital can be infuriating is when you're telling them Hey, we're going to save your doctor's time doing this task, so they can bill more here. And and while it sounds super logical, you you could bang your head against the wall trying to get a a a CFO at a hospital to understand that math when they're going through their balance sheet. Right? It's just it it could be it's it's a difficult sales process. I'm I'm not saying it can't be done. It happens all the time. It's just it's another layer. So the fact that you were able to convince people to pay for something because it's gonna add time doing something more valuable, that's hard to do, and that's impressive you did it with a, um, um, a prototype. So talk to me about that conversation you had with those folks. I'm guessing you yeah. were selling this to doctors at the time.
1: Yeah, I was selling it to doctors. You know, I think um, so much of, I'd be curious your thoughts on this statement, but so much of the success or failure of an idea can be just the timing. And, you know, the, the, the narrative, it's not just a narrative, the reality of what is happening to doctors right now with feeling burnt out. And even if they're not quite burnt out, they're definitely overwhelmed and overburdened. Doctors are leaving medicine in tangible numbers every year. Hospitals and employers know the cost of replacing a doctor. It's, you know, high six figures, if not low seven figures. That's the undercurrent right? And and everybody knows that we should be talking about wellness, but there's very few, there aren't no conversations, but there's very few actual tangible tools that are actually going to help a doctor get through their day. I mean, yes, they need to be resilient. Yes, they need to get a lot of sleep and nutrition and spend time with their family. But how about you give them a scribe? You know, I'm putting well prepped in this category. How about you help them with their patients so they show up already with some basic knowledge. You know, how about you help them make templates for their EHR and order sets? Doctors are like, have this very sharp radar for like, what's going to help me? And if you show them something and they see that it might help, they grab onto it tight. So I I think what facilitated those conversations was that the doctors were just sort of like, I don't want to stop using this thing. And, yeah. and oh. so it's like, you know, pry it out of my, pry it out of my grip if you want, but you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. that, that's how that, that made the conversation easier. But the, you know, the conversation went a lot easier than I thought it was going to go. I, I dreaded that first conversation of, Hey, listen, I'm charging for this. And, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to get something like this up and running and you know, the first pitch for I need to charge this usually has too much of an explanation. (laughs) It's almost um, defensive and uh, apologetic. I was talking to another entrepreneur who was like, listen, you do not apologize about this aspect. This is, uh, you'd be be proud of the fact that um, you have to charge for it. And that was a difficult thing for me to do because by nature, I don't enjoy that aspect of it. I I really enjoy the aspect of helping a doctor workflow. I don't enjoy talking about the fact that yes, there's a cost to it, but it's an adjustment. You just have to you have to do it. Otherwise, it's not a viable business.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I so I lo- I love what you said about the power of. Um, physicians and even even at a a larger level clinicians in general and the power they hold within a hospital now because of dissatisfaction and leaving and and that sort of thing so uh part of one of one of our team members here at project medtech is uh, sean mcgibbon and he was a executive in a number of the healthcare systems within ohio Um, and he provides a lot of perspective on that of of helping us develop for for our clients helping us develop the the sales not the sales pitch but the hey this is the value add of their product to a hospital and a lot of times we're 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 constantly pulling on that string of hey your clinicians want this and you have to give them what they want because they're going to leave and you know the expense of that so I, i love that you brought that up um the other thing you brought up with timing is spot on so you know we talk about uh, we, we, talk with a lot of companies about the various things you can control, right? And you can control your, your commercialization pitch, your value. You can control, um, certain regulatory things of when you submit, I mean, you can control a lot of things. There's a lot in your control, but there also is your timing window. And that unfortunately is not under your control. And that also opens and closes on its own, um, or, or because of the market but but the timing window is important because there's um a lot of we go back this goes back to like episode three or four um i talked to lance black he's a he's a physician entrepreneur as well he was at the texas medical center now he's at a startup um and he had said you know one of the biggest things he sees is you you have to make sure you're a historian of the problem and understand what, how they tried to solve the problem in the past um, and understanding why those why those solutions failed. And a lot of times it's not because of the company, it's not because it, it's because it, it was either too early or it was too late. And a lot of people assume that, you know, being too late means you should kill it. And that's actually not the case. It could have just, the window could have closed and the appetite for that thing wasn't ready, but now it might be ready again. Um, and actually we've talked to so many clients, um, Memic, uh, is a publicly traded company. That's a great example of it. They're a robotic assist surgical device that does, uh, hysterectomies, uh, vaginally. And th- the whole thing is laparoscopy, you know, to do it minimally invasive and they're doing vaginal, vaginal hysterectomies, which haven't been done in, you know, 30 or 40 years. Right. So right. it's a classic example of, it was an old exam, It was an old problem. It was an old solution that they just pulled forward, modernized, and threw it on the market, and now it works, right? So I love that you brought up the timing window because we spend a lot of time talking to companies about making sure you speed certain things up so that as that window opening and closing, you're ready to strike when you can. Right.
1: No, I love. What, I yeah. love. I love how you phrase that. Um, I do want to give voice to one other idea because I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of entrepreneurial listeners some of whom at this Mm -hmm. stage might have just an idea and they're like wondering about going forward i just want to give some voice to the fact that there was also a tremendous amount of uncertainty at every step i mean when when you have the uh, when you have the ability to look back and tell the story like i'm telling you the well-prepped origin story and we're still very young but thankfully there's signs that we have some nice early traction it is not like there was flashing neon signs at every turn telling us exactly what to do. And certainly when it was just me, it was like very scary. And um, so here's what I told myself. I, 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 And I genuinely felt this way that even, even if it completely crashed and burned that I was gonna try to enjoy the ride and all the things that I would learn along the way. And, and I, I really do feel that way. Of course, if that were to occur, it would, there'd be a significant cost to that. But, um, you, as long as you're enjoying it and you have a passion for the underlying problem, the signposts are not clear. It's like at every junction, you're just making the best possible choice you have with the information that you've got.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I don't talk about too much on this podcast, my entrepreneurial journey. Um, um, but, but uh, I have on a few others and, and frequently bring up the fact that, you know, there is just, you, you are, you, you doubt yourself daily. Am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? Does this make sense? Um, and you do that mental gymnastics of trying to rationalize yourself. like, you know would life have been easier if i just did what i was doing before right <laughs> you know right. i mean it, it's just it's this constant thing you do and so i love that you brought that up because um so often entrepreneurs are he- hearing the full story right um they're hearing you know i mean you can't see it because of the small video but there's bookshelves on either side of me it's like they're they're reading the book end to end um and uh, that is why I love to talk to entrepreneurs at all phases because you're getting the half written book. You're getting the quarter written book. Um, sometimes even as entrepreneurs, you can lose sight of um, what it felt like two months into your startup journey because you're four years in. So you're like, Oh shoot, that, that's right. It did feel like that. I, I do it. I do it to myself all the time. Um, two of my partners just came full time. Um, and uh they're there. They've been full time for a few months and I, my, my, I'm I'm sitting here going, why don't they get this? And I'm like, Oh, that's right. They were where I was, you know, a year ago, you know, and it's like, I gotta have that patience So I, I love that. You brought that up. Um, a, a couple other things. So, um, let's round out, let's round out where well prepped is right now. Um, because uh, we got the, the the story up until okay, great. You 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 have the someone paid for it. You did the um, prototype. W- where are you currently? And then I really want to dive into a little bit of um, being a physician entrepreneur okay. and, and and some of the challenges there.
1: All right. So where we are now is. Uh, I hired about a year ago, hired a software uh, development team, fantastic team Mm -hmm. out in Boise, Idaho, and they built version one. Version one is out in the live with about, uh, you know, several hundred users. It lets the doctors create um, condition pages for the most popular conditions that they see. And on those pages, they can choose whatever content they want to put on there videos this is where it really gets kind of cool because we're so used to handing out brochures and photocopied pieces of paper but if you use your imagination videos pdfs of course but how about links to support groups how about podcasts uh I, i have users who are sending patients to listen to podcasts on prostate cancer um and so the the creativity that users are showing is is incredible so It's kind of a a blank vessel through which doctors can send whatever they want. And it does pre-populate with seed content upon onboarding, uh, sort of suggested content. And what we decided to do, um, again, in retrospect, this was good. I can't say that I really understood this in a forward-thinking way, but I wanted to prove it out in urology first because that's what I know best. And so the system is most robust in urology, and now we're working on uh developing similar seed content in other specialties, but um, you know, uh, that's where we are now, several hundred users, we've started charging uh, users in batches because initially we uh, just rolled it out for free to get some buzz going. And uh, what makes me the most excited, two things. one is that doctors tend to tell other doctors that is one of the things that you know you didn't you never know until you uh until you put it out there but usually i ask people how they heard about it and it's very common for them to say oh my colleague showed it to me they it's really helping them out yeah so uh the, the second thing is and i just have to mention this cuz it's so unbelievable but literally this morning i got a text from a user um i'm just going to read it okay <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. to me this is where I am right now. Good morning, David. Yep. Good morning, David. Wishing you a happy and safe holiday season with your family. Very grateful for your help this year. Best regards. And then he sends me a screenshot of his dashboard, and in the dashboard it shows how many page visits, uh, you know, patients have been to his page. So, for example, he does robotic surgery, and that page has been visited 760 times just in the last couple months but that is that wow that is like uh, you know think of all the explanations he's been able to avoid and and all the i don't know just better care so and the fact that he's sending me this text is just um it feels really good it it, it, so that's where i'm at right now i feel like
0: it's I, I love that. That's awesome. And and I love getting those types, that type of feedback from customers. Um, and especially too, I mean, I, I'm just thinking, um, uh, just thinking out loud here, but to be able to control, not control, but to be able to help your patients to the right resources to educate them is so important. Yeah. I mean, uh, what's, what, what's better than an educated, um, patient, not, nothing's, better. nothing's better.
1: Nothing's better. Right. I mean, that's so cool. Here's another anecdote just from last week. A a user, again, this is another urologist, does a lot of prostate cancer. A patient had biochemical recurrence, so their PSA rose after surgery. And the patient came to him with this review article that he had read, and he said, listen, I thought this review article was really great if you want to give your patients this to read. So previously, that would be difficult. So what does he do? He puts it it on his… well prepped page and uh and now that's you know every patient he sees from now on can read this can read this paper so I don't know I uh, it can sound kind of sappy but you know it feels like an important thing I I knew that I loved helping patients but I did not I underestimated how much I would enjoy helping other doctors like the, 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 the satisfaction is just as good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I love hearing that raw commentary too. Um, okay. Awesome. So I will include a link to well preps website here in the, in the show notes too. Um, so depending on what platform people are listening to, as always, you could look up or down click on well prepped and they can get right to it along with David's LinkedIn page. Um, so, so another topic that I love to cover with, um, uh physicians um or clinicians in general um but but i guess more specifically physicians because of the length of time for for med school is being a physician entrepreneur right um we've had a ton of them on and and um there's a lot of similarities um to the different responses i get but also a lot of and, and also some nuances too so it's, it's always worth asking um you know it, in in We we talked about how you solve how how you pick the problem you were solving and it it is what it is but but no one else is going to have insight to that problem like a physician they're just not until you live it you're not going to understand that problem and so the importance of physician entrepreneurs is is really important Um, and and you know a lot of people say well yeah, but, but, you know, they just got to give us the idea and then let the business people take it and run. And, and my pushback there is always, I, I hear you, I get it. But the, the problem is the transfer of that vision to someone else sometimes can get lost, right? So now you have someone running your company who really, truly doesn't understand the problem as much as maybe that physician. Now there's plenty of cases where that smooth transition happens. Um, but there's also cases where it doesn't. And so um, long-winded, long-winded uh, comment here, but but uh, physician entrepreneurs, uh, the the issue generally though is is like, I have um, three really good friends who, um, two just became attendings this year. And one is, is still a, a resident uh, going on to his fellowship. And an- another friend is still in his residency as well. There's no way They could be, they could figure out a problem in three years and then quit their job and go solve it because (laughs) of the crippling amount of debt they've racked up. Right. right? Um, Not to, not to mention the fact that um, they are 32 years old um, and just now really getting a real paycheck. Um, Right. And so they can't they can't go quit their job and, and say, oh, I'm gonna do this startup company and 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 not afford to take a paycheck home for a couple months because they, they just can't do it, right? Yeah. And so there's so many things kind of building in this. But I'd love to hear your perspective of maybe why we don't see so many physician entrepreneurs, um, and then also your story as well, because there's also the fact that like like I know for for you. Um, you're still practicing to a certain extent. You're also running a company. But there's also a fact that, yeah, you went to school to help patients. And, and you had mentioned it at the very beginning um, about you add value by doing surgeries, right? You're good at it. And so I'm also curious on how you weigh. So So there's the financial, there's the school, there's the fact that you're, you're, you're good at something else, but you want to split your time here. So I'll just cut you loose. But those are some of the highlights of things I've heard before in the past. And just my observations from my friends.
1: No, I love those comments. There's there's at least three things that your comments sparked. So let me just answer the first arena is, you know, could I have potentially done this early in my career, let's say in the first five years, the answer is no. Um, Mm -hmm financially no backing to be able to fund uh an idea also early in practice i was so consumed with the clinical decision making you know at that point every decision is a new decision every algorithm is new it it really consumes a lot of your bandwidth uh you know we can only focus on so much so i'm now 15 years into practicing there's some mental space to be able to handle a whole new thing cuz you know as entrepreneurs will tell you you never really stop thinking about the problem that you're solving if if the problem doesn't leave you alone you're you're working on the right problem you know and i'm and i'm this i'm sure this bothers my wife to no end she she can she can tell you're thinking about well prepped right now um (laughs) but so no i couldn't have done it early on for for both of those reasons um the other thing i want to mention is you know how how do i balance this because i am still practicing full time and i'm have not yet found a good way to do it um i'm i am uh, by definition, only working on this in the bookends of the day, before I go to work, after I'm done with work, um, mm. because I'm I don't want to do this on work time. So that has been a huge struggle. And I, and the honest answer to that question is I have not found a good way to do it. But I w- if if I could turn that observation into some advice, you cannot do this kind of thing unless you truly love the problem because there's just no way you could, you know, you're, I'm stuffing uh, the entrepreneurship into every nook and cranny of available time, and because I love doing it, it I don't really mind. In fact, sometimes I feel like I mm-hmm. wish I didn't need sleep. I would love to work on it for 24 hours straight if I could, but I can't. Yeah. Um, so that the balance thing, the answer is, I, I haven't found the, the the best thing yet, but I'm trying. The most interesting question you asked, I thought, was, why aren't there more physician entrepreneurs? And I'll tell you, I had a one of my fondest mentors uh, when I was a resident, was very successful in the device. Uh, in He had made a, a few urologic inventions that became commercially successful, um, and I spent a lot of time talking to him about those things, and he said you really have to be primed to look for problems. And his contention was, and I kind of agree, that most people, including doctors, are just trying to get through their day from point A to point B, and they have a routine, and it becomes the thing that they do, and they're not necessarily looking for ways to make things better, they're just resigned to the fact that they've got to get through their day. And he said, and so at that point I, I thought, I, I would really like to invent something, you know? That would be cool to invent a device. And so I took his advice to heart, and I was really primed to look for surgical problems, and nothing good ever came to me, even though I was actively Mm -hmm. trying. So um, that's the answer. I think you have to actively decide that you're going to look for problems. There are so many problems to be solved. And what I would say to listeners is, you know, doctors – both on the medical and surgical side tend to think about looking for devices and maybe not as much looking for software solutions. And I think it is just ripe for, for, for physician minds who are in the thick of it to come up with software-based solutions. Mm Mm-hmm
0: um one other thing i wanted to get your perspective on too um i talked to to a lot of startups about this and and this probably falls in the the doctor side but also the commercialization side um when people ask you know hey what what makes taking a medical device to market software wellness doesn't matter right you're selling a healthy what makes it so 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 difficult and it's like well you know the people like well it's it's regulated it's like Uh, okay. I mean, there's a lot of industries that are regulated though. I mean, it's, that's really not an issue. I mean, um, people bring that up and I'm like, don't you want to make a safe safe and effective product? Well, yeah. Okay. Then the FDA should be no problem for you. Right. (laughs) Um, and so, so, so that's generally that response there. Like that one, I just, I don't have a lot of sympathy for. Um, but what I do, what I do have sympathy for is the fact that, and what makes it truly, what makes us difficult is that you are selling to, in my opinion, the most conservative industry across the globe. Um, now, people would be like, well, okay. And it's like, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be the most conservative, right? I mean, we're talking about. The, 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 health of individuals and, and, and living or dying. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people are making conservative decisions, but can you just kind of talk through that a little bit more from yeah. a, a more educated standpoint than just a medicinal chemist talking well, about it, but more of a doctor? No,
1: I, 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 I'm, as I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, crossing the chasm, you know, the, the book crossing yeah. the chasm. I know it's like, um, yeah, the book that, it's not a very original book to bring up, but it's very yeah. apropos to the, to your question yeah. because in this book they talk about the adoption of any new technology or any new product and you have um, early adopters who flock to the product and as soon as they see it, they're like, oh my God, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about this thing, but this is the thing that I want. And then right. it's very difficult to cross the chasm after that to the early majority and then the late majority. And what you're saying is maybe is that healthcare, care, um, by virtue of maybe the type of personality that is attracted to a stable job, like being a doctor, maybe doctors are predominantly the late majority type of personality who don't flock to new ideas. Maybe we are abundantly full of that personality and with, with very few early adopters. Maybe the early adopter personality is attracted to other professions entirely. Um, I don't know, I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that very well could be it. I mean, that's a great breakdown and, and that might be the case. And I think that's what makes finding early adopters so difficult in the space. Um, I mean, there are certainly, doctors you know willing to do that um no doubt and and no doubt. you know and i think too you know like that's something that um it it, it for other, for some people it's just it's it's different like if if you're if you're doing some of the most cutting edge cardiovascular procedures yeah you're probably doing it at cleveland clinic or right. mayo clinic right. or wherever, wherever it is right um but but for for products that are helping the masses and the majority of hospitals you know that's where and 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 we talk to groups about this all the time you know we have a couple companies where it's like uh you know they could help a ton of clinics across the us across the world um but i think that what they're gonna find is early adopters might be hard to come by Um, based on some of that, and this is all just, you know, my, what my gut says, I have no evidence to back any of this up, but that's where I would probably sit is that some of those early adopters are probably attracted to some of these top tier medical institutions, where there's a lot of experimental surgeries going on and some of the other hospitals maybe don't have some of
1: that. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, but, um, awesome. Um, david uh is there anything else we missed that you 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 were dying to cover on the podcast
1: you know i think we covered uh most of uh, of what i was hoping to talk about Um, if there's anything to highlight uh i want to highlight one of the points that you made that doctors who live in the workflow are in the best positions to be solving the problems in that workflow i i hope i I don't just hope i'm sure there are some listeners who with ideas and maybe this is what pushes them to actually do it we need more doctors to be solving the problems that doctors are facing
0: I love that. Um, awesome. David, hang on for a minute. We'll chat offline. Um, as I mentioned before, anyone listening in the show notes, David and the, David's LinkedIn will be in there, uh, Well Prep's website. Um, so if you're interested, you can, you can contact David there or just reach out to that podcast and we can get you in contact. But David, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.